want to welcome everybody there online, as well as here in Melbourne, those of you out in the cafe and in the, in the commons. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Today's special because we finish another book of the Bible. By the way, how many of you have been at all the Colossians messages? You've caught them all. Well, that's great. That's a many of you. If you have it, you can always go on our website or our app to catch the messages that you missed. And today, I titled this message, Making Opportunities Count. Making Opportunities Count. And you're going to understand why as we move into that, why I chose that title. So, uh, Paul, by the way, last week, didn't Christy and David do a great job teaching on marriage and parenting? And in the workplace, well, we're going to start in verse 2 because that's where they left off last week. They, did, they got through uh, verse 1. Paul here in verse 2 says this, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. So Paul's encouraging the church in Colossae, be prayerful. Be watchful. Be thankful. Now, you always want to say, you, you read the context. What is the context he's talking about? Well, in verse 3, he's talking about being watchful for opportunities. Opportunity to share the gospel with people. That, that we be able to proclaim the message. That we can invite people, so to speak, to Christmas Eve services. Or, or whatever opportunities God provides before us. Paul's saying this to this church. Be devoted to prayer. Praying for people. Be watchful, looking for people that might be in your path that God wants you to speak to. And be thankful. I mean, we can all be thankful because we know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you can be thankful because your name's written in a book of life. We take our last breath here. We enter into heaven. That gives you a lot to be thankful for. But not everybody has that. And so what Paul's saying there, he says, pray for us that God would open a door for our message. And he goes on to say that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. He often reminds people, remember, I'm in chains. He's not a criminal. He's in chains because of sharing the gospel. At this time, he's in Rome, and he's chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't have freedom. He's saying, remember me, I'm in chains. He wanted to be released. You would be too. But he was making the most of every opportunity. He wrote four books of the Bible while he was in prison. But he's also saying, I want to proclaim the mystery, the gospel. Now, what was the mystery Paul was talking about? Well, if you, if you were with us earlier as we were studying the book of Colossians, he talked about it, some of the mysteries. One was that Jews and Gentiles would come together to make one group called the church. That was a mystery. It wasn't understood before, but now they, we understand that. But another big one I believe he's talking about is that Christ lives in us. See, in those days, people were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a political leader. And just like people are today, people are looking for just the right political leader that's going to solve all of our problems. I don't have that kind of faith, do you? But I know one who's a king. He's a king of kings, and he's on the throne. That's who I'm putting my faith and trust in. And so, but, but here's the thing. They didn't understand that Jesus was coming as God to die for our sins. But what Paul says is the mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Jesus lives in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That wasn't understood. And so that was part of the message that Paul was de- 
declaring to this church, and he wanted to share it with other people. Now, I, I think that uh, this is a, a great little saying I heard years ago. I don't know who to attribute it to, but I didn't come up with it. But it's this. Before we talk to people about God, talk to God about people. Let me say that again. Before you talk to people about God, talk to God about people. That's really what Paul's saying. I'm praying for open doors. I'm praying to God right now that God would put me across where I can talk to people about God, but he's talking to God first. And Paul's saying, pray for me. You know what? If, if Paul needs prayer, how much more do you and I need prayer? We all do. I like what he says in Ephesians 6. You see it up on the screen. In verse 19 and 20, he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And it's a very similar type of thing that he's telling the church here in Colossae. He's saying, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So he's talking about that gospel mystery again. For which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul wants to be bold in his faith. He wants to share the gospel. He's praying for opportunities. He's even praying that God would give him the right words. And some of you do not open your mouth because you're afraid of, I don't know what I'm going to say. Do you know when the Lord usually gives you is when you open your mouth? (laughs) When you open your mouth, he fills it. He doesn't give you it always beforehand. So it's part of the encouragement. It's just like when you open up and you start to talk to somebody, pretty soon you'll be like, wow, God was giving me exactly what I needed to say. I didn't even know that. I didn't even prepare for that. He will do that for us. So he's, he's talking about the gospel. And so Paul's praying that we would have open doors. He would have open doors. So what is the gospel? Every one of you, if you're a Christian need to be able to explain the gospel to someone. If you're on a plane and it's about to go down and the person next to you is like, I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not ready for death, you need to be able to explain the gospel really quickly and be able to pray. I don't know how long you got, but you don't want to have a long time. But sometimes people say, I don't know what I would say. I'm going to explain the gospel to you in such simple terms, okay? And that's just how I have to communicate it simply. First of all, we are all sinners, we came into this world as sinners. We sin in thought, word, and deed. Am I, are you tracking with me right now? We're all sinners. Second, because we're sinners, we're separated from God. Sin separates us from God. And because God is a just God, sin must be punished. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. So the punishment that will come for sin is eternal damnation, a place of hell, lake of fire, where we're separated from God for eternity. That's the bad news. Sin separates us from God, and there will be a judgment. But then there's the gospel is actually the, the word means good news. There has to be bad news for there to be good news. If there's good news with no bad news, you say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. So people have to understand about sin, its effects, and the judgment. The good news is Jesus came, God, in man, came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He took the punishment on upon himself. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on that cross so it doesn't have to be poured out on us. He was our substitute. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then our sins can be forgiven and we can be reconciled with holy God. 
We enter into a relationship with him. And we believe that because he was sinless and God's endorsement of his life and that, that sacrifice that he came and he rose on the third day. Now he's in the seated at the right hand of God the Father, but he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. And then we begin to follow. We, we turn from our old way of life and we begin to follow Jesus. And some people say, well, how do I know how to follow Jesus? Well, he's given us instructions right here in the Word. But you might say, well, that sounds like a lot of rules. I don't know that I could do that. You can't. That's why he gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you. See, God in you can do that. So that's the gospel. You ought to be able to explain that to someone. And then you pray, and it's not about exact words of a prayer where somebody's confessing, they're putting their faith in Jesus. That's what God is wants for all of us. This is what Paul's praying, that he'd have opportunities as well. He wants to be able to declare it fearlessly, and uh, so often we can get fearful in, in, in our own selves. So here's our first point today. Pray for opportunities. The gospel must be spoken. See, sometimes people think, well, I don't really have to say anything. I just have to live a good life. Do you know there's a lot of religious people living good lives? What makes you any different? There are a lot of Mormons that I know of that live a very moral life, some of them much better than Christians I know. But they have a different belief system. See, our life is good. I mean, it's good that we do it, but we have to share it with our mouth. What Paul was saying there is that he may share, he may proclaim. You're going to see it here in a moment as well. It has to be spoken. The gospel has to be spoken. So let's look at verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it. See, proclaim, speak it clearly as I should. So he wants the gospel to be able to be declared clearly. Be wise in the way towards, you act towards outsiders. And when he's talking about outsiders, there he's talking about people who have not yet come to Christ. They're non-believers yet. Make the most of every opportunity, and that's where I got the title, Make Opportunities Count, because what Paul's prayer is, I want to make sure my life, my opportunities count, that I make the most of those opportunities. Then he's talking to the, the Colossae church. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer everyone. See, I think sometimes people don't share their faith. They don't do evangelism. Just the word evangelism sounds spooky and scary to some people. And sometimes I think it's because you've seen wrong ways that people do it. If you've seen people like, you got to turn or you're going to burn. <laughs> you ever seen people like that? They're like all in your face. They look angry. Who wants that? That's not what I see in Scripture. That's not what I see in Jesus. What Paul's praying there, he's praying that we would be nice as we talk to people about the Lord. So if, if that's your image of what evangelism is, then, then Satan has got it in your head that you can't do it because you're not that way and you shouldn't do it that way. Let me just say it. He says, be like in verse 6, let your conversation be full of grace. Season with salt. In other words, Make it good, have a good flavor to it. Make them thirsty so you may know how to answer everyone. I've heard it said before that people don't care what we know until they know what, excuse me, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. We have to show that we care for the individual. 
It gives us then a right to be able to speak a little bit more into their lives and so forth. I like what Peter says here in 1 Peter 3 because he's kind of similar to what Paul's talking about. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, Jesus is your master. He's your Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Let me just stop there. Do you have hope? See, my hope is that my sins have been forgiven and my life ends here on earth. I spend in eternity in heaven. That's hope. And if you have that hope, you're going to act differently than the people around you. So people are going to say, What's, why do you have such hope? Why do you have a joy even in the midst of something that's kind of bad happening? You seem different. But look what he says. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's the key. When we talk to people, be gentle, be respectful, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What Peter is saying there is that people are going to be like, well, I, you know, I, I don't even, I, I feel bad for even saying something bad about you because I see how nice you are. You're treating me with, me res, res, with respect and so forth. Um, I can tell you that sometimes people don't always handle things real well. And I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was taught how to do evangelism. We went out on the street corners, and I, w- I got saved at Iowa State University, and one of the places I frequented often was a place called Campus Town. There was all these bars there, and I'd be in those bars. Many times I'd get in fights or even gotten thrown out of some bars there. And um, now I get saved, and I'm out there doing evangelism. And people were teaching me how to do it, how to share my faith, and it was really a pretty neat experience. Like, people that, like, huh, I was all... But I remember there was a young guy, he'd just gotten out of the Marines, he came to our church, and he was a brand new Christian, his name was Rob, and so I was assigned to take Rob out and teach him how to share his faith, how to share and do evangelism. So I took Rob with me, we were out on the streets, and we were talking to a couple guys, and uh, I said, you know, I said to these guys, I said, we're out here sharing the love of Christ, God has put a love in our hearts for you guys, and we want to share his love. And one of the guys said, well, how can you love us? You don't even know us. And they were like really kind of in our face about, you know, antagonistic. And Rob looks at him. He says, well, I don't love you. In fact, I don't even like you. <laughs> and I felt like the Lord gave me a quick comeback. You know, he fills our mouths. And I said, that's right. In, his, in himself, he can't do that. But with God in him, he can love you. <laughs> Another, another funny thing about Rob was uh, I, we were sitting in a church service one time and somebody lit off a whole pack of fireworks outside the window, probably to try to distract us having church. And Rob stands up in the middle of service, takes his watch off, says, here, hold this, I'll take care of him. <laughs> we had to kind of teach him some new ways of how to deal with things, but we're all work in progress, right? But, but from just what we've shared so far, I want to share with you four important things in sharing the gospel. Number one, we need to pray for open doors. Look for them. We're going to talk more about that open doors here in a moment. But are you praying for opportunities? So I think sometimes people are like, I pray nobody does ask me. I don't know what I would say. Pray for open doors. Proclaim the gospel clearly. Just like I just took a minute and shared the gospel, you ought to be able to 
share the gospel in a clear fashion, so much so that if you only had a minute with someone, you could do that. Then be wise with our actions. Let's make sure that our lifestyle is not becoming a stumbling block to <clears throat> the message that God gives for us. Now, none of us are perfect, right? But we need to be just wise with our actions and then graceful with our words. Let our words be kind and respectful, full of grace as we talk to people. Now, one of the people that I know of that is, is so great at evangelism, this is truly his gift, is going to come up here, Steve Zaitz. And uh, Steve is... Uh, Steve is a retired captain from the Palm Bay Fire Department. In fact, he serves now as a chaplain for Palm Bay. He's been on our staff for 18 years as our director of evangelism and outreach. Most of you don't know who Steve is because most all of his ministry is not here on campus. It's out on the streets and doing evangelism, taking people out in all these different areas. But he also teaches evangelism classes here, and I'll talk about that here in a moment. But Steve? All right, thanks. <clears throat> Okay, um, so by show of hands, who believes it's their responsibility to share the Lord? All right, all right, if you're a believer, right, you should have your hand up, right? Um, in my years of teaching evangelism, I've come across a few things that people feel are a little bit on the harder side of doing, so I want to share some of those things. What I hope to do today is just give you guys a few nuggets where you could just leave this service, even go to lunch today, and be able to just put these into practice, okay? So... One of the things people have a hard time with is identifying an opportunity or an open door. Anybody with me on that? Another thing is how to start a conversation. And another thing is how to take that conversation and swing it to a spiritual conversation. All right, so we're going to touch on those. Now, I believe that most of you probably pray for open doors, opportunities. The problem is we, in our mind's eye, we, we have a certain view of what that looks like. Sometimes open doors don't look like open doors. I was on my way back from Puerto Rico on a mission trip. Um, I, I'm looking for my seat on the plane, coming back to Miami, and I see my seat. There's a guy sitting right next to my seat, and he's got a computer open. He's got headphones on. He's got a book open. Headphones are running to his phone, and he's got sunglasses on. Open door or closed door? <laughs> Looks closed, right? But you know, how important is eye contact? Even though he has glasses on, how important is eye contact? So I'm, as I'm sitting down, I'm kind of watching him. He looks up and I say, hey, how are you? He goes, excuse me, he takes one ear off. I said, how are you? He goes, good. He takes the headphones down, he shuts the computer, shuts the book, open door or closed door? Open, that quick, right? So here's the thing about open doors. When we're trying to sense an open door, we could miss the door. I mean, if you've prayed for an open door and you haven't had an open door in two weeks or two years, you probably missed the door, right? Because I guarantee you God wants to preach the gospel to that person. He wants to show his, his love and forgiveness to that person way more than we do. We talk ourselves out of open doors sometimes. So here's what I want you to do. Here's a, here's a, here's a way to, to miss less doors. If there's someone in front of you, that's the open door. Can you guys do that? Pretty simple, right? There's someone in front of you, that's the open door. Assume that that's the open door and go ahead and try the door, right? Um, and then all we really have to do at that point is be sensitive when God might be shutting the door. And we could do that really quick. We know when that's happening. It's just hard to sense when the door might be open. 
I promise you, you do this, you will miss a lot less doors. Make sense? Can you guys do that? All right. Starting a conversation, obviously eye contact is a big deal. Well, in that moment when I identified my opportunity open door, I just said hi. If you think about Jesus with the woman at the well, he kept it very natural. He talked about water. We don't have to jump into this overly spiritual conversation right off the bat, right? We don't want to chase them away. We just want to say hi, smile. You get a smile back, that's what? Open door, right? It's very practical, so easy. Okay, so I already started the conversation with this person. So now how do I move this conversation from a natural conversation to a spiritual conversation? Anybody have a hard time with that sometimes? It could be difficult. I could see it. So these conversations don't normally just kind of happen on their own. We've got we to do it, right? So here's my go-to. This is pretty much what I say with everybody. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Can you guys do that? Say it with me. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Here, smile and say it really nice. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? All right. You guys can do that, right? Nothing to it. When you say that, all bets are off. What comes back is going to be amazing. You're going to see. Okay. Now, a little bit more. Okay. So here's what I want to encourage you. You guys might have a friend who you've had a friend maybe for, this friend might be a friend for maybe five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. You've never talked to him about the Lord. And you kind of feel ashamed about that maybe. And I can tell you, the longer we have friends, the longer it takes us to tell them about the Lord, the harder it is. Anybody with me on that? Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up a lunch date with that person or the next time you see them. I just want you to say, hey, there's something super, super important I wanted to talk to you about. I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a long time. It's important to me, but I've always felt like, you know, I would lose you as a friend. And I just feel like our friendship is way stronger than this. And I think that we can, we can talk about this. Is that okay with you? Yeah, yeah, what is it? Um, what are your spiritual beliefs? Pretty easy, right? Can you guys say that with me? What are your spiritual beliefs? That's simple. And then when you do that, what comes back is going to be amazing. You will probably be able to tell them about the Lord. If nothing else, most likely be able to hand them an invite, right? All right, so hope to see you guys in class. Now let me just share. Some of you want to go deeper. He does a three-week class. It's going to start mid-January. You can go online and find it called E-Start. Three weeks where he will train you called E-Start. And uh, after that, he goes into another class called Tactics. But I just encourage you. Some of you are like, oh, I know I need to grow in this area. I know I need to learn. Well, we, we give you opportunities here. And uh, Steve's a great teacher. You just got evidence of that. But he obviously, he couldn't go into a great detail uh, in that five minutes. But thank you, Steve, for, for sharing. What are some other ways that we can share, um, point people to Jesus? And uh, by the way, I, before I even get into that, the, the one little opener that my wife uses when we're on a plane, usually when we're on a plane, I'm either by the window or the aisle and she's sitting next to me, she's always got gum with her. So she'll turn to, to the person next to her and just say, would you like a stick of gum? You know, when you're flying, you like to have gum for your ears and so forth. She gets an amazing conversation with people through a stick of gum. And so just something a little, little, she's got the gum ministry, I think. So um, anyway, simple little things that you can use, okay? Just two weeks ago, I had somebody who came up to me and uh, introduced them, well, didn't introduce, but said they're here at the service because I had invited them about two weeks earlier. And they were like, I made it, I'm here. You know, it's like, this is so simple. Sometimes we get talked out of these things, don't we? 
And so here's some other ways that we can reach the lost. First of all, preaching like Peter did in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's like what I'm doing, you know, when I preach a message or whatever, or one of the other pastors. Hospitality. Jesus called Matthew. He went to Matthew's home, and what did Matthew do? He threw a big dinner party and had all of his friends, other tax collectors, come to hear Jesus. Some of you can use hospitality as a way to reach people. Invitational is another way. The woman at the well. After she left Jesus, she went into the town and told all these people, come hear a man who told me all about my past. Could this be the Messiah? She didn't know enough to, to do the evangelism. She brought and invited people to come and hear Jesus. That's what, when we have these invite cards, you can use this as your invitation. Assume somebody wants to go to a Christmas Eve service. Hey, do you have a Christmas Eve service yet? Love to invite you to our church. Simple. They may say no, but that's okay. Next, testimony. Like the blind man healed in John 9. He shared with others what Jesus did for him. That's a way that we can also share is Talk about what God has done in your life. Service projects. Dorcas in uh, Acts chapter 9 uh, was a, a, a lady who was making all these different things. And I was thinking about, we have some incredible ladies in our church. There's two ministries I'm going to highlight. One is called Threads of Comfort, where they make baby blankets and little baby booties and little hats and so forth. They, they make them for missions and so forth. We just took some to Guatemala. They love the baby blankets. It's cold up in the mountains and so forth. And then we have one, Projects uh, Crafts for Missions. And they make all kinds of items for, for mission trips. And we had a, like a 50-pound bag of all their things. And one of the things they make are like little crocheted Frisbees. Now, you wouldn't think a crocheted Frisbee would fly, but they really do well. Kids love them. But we use those to build a relationship with people as we're sharing the gospel. These are like tools of evangelism. So service projects help. And then when you give to gospel work, when you give to the work of the church here, you're supporting other missionaries, uh, you're supporting different mission organizations, that is helping. And it's just like there were several women in Luke 8 that helped fund the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. You remember, they had to eat. And it says that there were ladies that were providing for their needs, probably cooking meals, maybe using their own finances to help Jesus and his disciples. So those are just some ways that we can also be um, on mission. Now, we're going to switch because the rest of the chapter is about Paul naming some people as he's closing up this letter. And... Uh, He's going to mention 10 people, all seemingly have a little bit different roles, what they're doing. And so let's start here with verse 7. It says, uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Let's just stop there and talk about Tychicus. Tychicus, uh, we know he's mentioned several times by Paul. He's mentioned in Acts 20 as going with Paul to Jerusalem. We also know he was carrying the offering to places. He was delivering a letter to Ephesus. In other words, Tychicus is like today's Amazon delivery guy. Okay? Or he's a mail person. He's a delivery person. 
And I'm really encouraged about Tychicus because some of you think that, oh, I'm just doing this. Here, God is mentioning these people in Scripture. This is not by accident. He has them there for a reason. They're everyday people like you and me, and this is all a part of the work for the Lord. Tychicus here was going to carry the message. And so he's a delivery person. And it was an important role. And God's, and his word here is calling him a faithful minister and a, a servant. And he was going to go and encourage these people by what he was going to do. So he was going to carry that news and encourage them. Verse 9 says, he's coming with Onesimus. Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Remember, Paul's in Rome. Onesimus was a slave of a person named Philemon. If you read the book of Philemon, it's only a one-chapter book, you'll read about Onesimus. He escaped. He left. He was, a, he was a slave who left, but he ended up getting saved. He ended up meeting Paul. He was ministering with Paul, but Paul's sending him back to Philemon to be reconciled. Not to be a slave again, but to be reconciled as a brother in Christ. So this is Onesimus. He's going there. Which, as you go through these 10 different people, we just covered two of them, it kind of brings us to our next point. Don't do life alone. Make godly friends. I can't emphasize this enough. Have godly friends. Do you have godly friends? And godly friends are the type that no matter what happens in your life, you know you could contact them and they could be praying for you. They're not the type of people, if you contact them with bad news, they're going to they're make it even worse. Oh, really? Oh, that happened to so-and-so. Oh, oh. You know, they, and you feel discouraged after you talk to them. You need people that are full of faith, that can pray with you, that can encourage you. Paul was always with other people, and we need other people. This is part of the benefits of us having small groups and different ministries. So many of you are connected in groups, and thank you. You make the big church small by being in a group. But some of you are not yet connected. And I just encourage you, find a place. And it doesn't have to be in a group here. If you have godly friends and you're staying connected with them, great. You just need to have that prayer support, people that are around you. Paul obviously had that. Now he's going on in verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So there's this uh, Aristarchus. Aristarchus, uh, we know that he was with Paul in Ephesus when there was a riot. And uh, so he's been with Paul in some really tough times in his past, which I think is a neat thing about Aristarchus is that he didn't, he wasn't just a fair weather friend. He stayed with Paul even in the hardships. I think that's important. We have people that don't desert us when things get tough. He was there. And then Mark. Mark's an interesting fellow because he was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And when things got really hard, it says that Mark deserted them. He left. He went back to Jerusalem. Paul was like, I'm done with Mark. He, he left us. He, 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 he quit. So when Paul was getting ready to go on his second missionary journey, him and Barnabas, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along again. He was his cousin. Paul said, nope, I'm not taking that guy. And they had such a sharp disagreement, they ended up going their own separate way. But now we find 
Paul talking favorably about Mark. So we believe that they somehow got reconciled. Now Mark was in a favorable light with Paul again because he's mentioning him, coming to him. Then there's verse 11. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. So this Jesus, who's called Justice, it's interesting. If you had the, if you had the name Jesus back then, you'd probably go by a different name, wouldn't you? It kind of reminds me of a, a story when I first became a pastor here. This was uh, two, beginning in 2002. When, the very first time I got called to go to a hospital with somebody dying. And I, you know, I, how do you prepare for that, by the way? You just don't. You just have to go do it. So I get the information. There's a, f- a person, a Spanish person. His name is Jesus, you know, Jesus. Let's go to Holmes Hospital, this room. They want you to pray with them. They're about ready to take him off life support. Uh, okay, I, I, I can do that. So I go to the, I get down the hallway, and there's a big crowd of people outside of the, of the room. There had to be 30 people between what was in the room and outside. I'm like, whoa, that's where I'm going. And I come in and say, is this the, is this the room? Are you the family of Jesus? I said, yes, but he doesn't go by Jesus. He goes by Jesus. Like, okay, good to know. I'm glad so I can clarify that. Then somebody, I said, I'm the pastor from Calvary Chapel. I got a call to come. Somebody yells in the room, the priest is here for the last rites. <laughs> By the way, I didn't grow up Catholic. I don't know what last rites is, is exactly. I assume it's you're praying for people as they die and so forth. But, um, and so I go in there. And let me tell you, it's confusing when you're praying for Jesus, but you're also praying to Jesus. <laughs> I'm getting all tongue twisted. He ended up dying. They asked me to do his funeral, which I'm glad to do it. I was honored to do it. But I'm praying. At different times I'm talking about, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, but, of course, not this Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep your Jesus straight. So back to our story, I can see why Jesus went by justice. Can you see that? That makes sense? Yeah. And if you're Spanish, you, you use the Jesus, right? It's just less confusing. So we see also that he was there. He was sending greetings. He was, he was also providing comfort and so forth. Verse 12, Epaphras. Now, we've talked about Epaphras before. He was the church planter that Paul sent from Ephesus to start the church in Colossae some years ago. He's also the one that came to Rome to bring the message to Paul about the cults that were trying to infiltrate into the church in Colossae. Colossae was a 1,000 miles from Rome. So at this point, Epaphras was probably not the pastor anymore. He turned it over to a person I think you will see is the last name here in the list. I think he's probably the new pastor. But Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. I love this about Epaphras. Look what it says there in verse 12. He's wrestling in prayer. That should stir some of us up. That prayer is not some little light thing. That prayer is work. You know, in Ephesians 6, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against the principalities, the powers of the air, that we wrestle in prayer. And what was Paul, or excuse me, Epaphras, what was he wrestling in prayer for the church for? You see it there. He was praying that they wouldn't quit, that they would stand firm in the will of God, that they would mature, that they would grow in their faith, that they would be discipled, and that they would be fully assured. They'd have that faith. When you're fully assured, you know exactly where you're going. If you're at a point right now where you say, man, if I died today, I'm not sure exactly where I would go, then you're not fully assured. You need that assurance. You can have that assurance. And that comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. But this is what he was wrestling for the church. And then Paul's saying there, I can vouch for him. He's working hard for you and for the other uh, churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So here's our next point. Pray for others to be strong in their faith. Pray for others. Be strong in their faith. All of us need people praying for us, and we need to be praying for others. You know, just praying for others just reminds me of this, that every one of you who are a Christ follower likely had somebody who prayed for you before you became a believer. If you thought of it, you'd probably find. I know for me and my family, I remember when I was a little boy meeting my great-grandma, Grimius. She came from the Netherlands. And great-grandma Grimius was the type of lady. She was a little white-haired, really a petite lady. She was in her 80s when I knew her. And she would wear Bibles out. I mean, you would just see the Bibles. She always had a Bible. And she was a prayer warrior. She was praying for our family. And, you know, my dad became a believer when I was about 15. And then my mom became a believer. And my sisters. And I mean, it's like all throughout the family. You think the ripple effect by one person praying in a family. Maybe you say, Mom, I don't really have any believers in our family. Well, you're then the one that can begin that ripple effect of praying for your family members. Don't give up hope. Here's what I know. That's a prayer that God wants to answer. He wants your loved ones saved. So wrestle in prayer for them. Amen? Amen. Let's go on. Verse 14. It says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Let me just stop there. Here's a little piece of trivia for you. Luke is the only writer of the Bible who was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a Greek. He was a doctor. He traveled with Paul. And you know the two books he wrote, right? One's easy, Luke. The other one is Acts. So he was like very meticulous. He was a detailed person. He was a doctor. So he was making sure that all the facts were straight and that he would interview all these people to write these books of Luke and Acts. He was like a historian type. And he traveled with Paul because Paul was always getting beat up and things. He needed a doctor with him, you know? (laughs) When you're getting stoned, and it was with rocks, let me tell you. Um, Clarify that. Uh, He needed somebody. He He needed a doctor with him. So Luke was that person. And then there was Demas. Demas sends greetings. Now, Demas, we know that he was a a servant to Paul. He's mentioned many times in Scripture favorably, except in the very last book that Paul wrote. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at it up on the screen. Paul's writing to Timothy. This is the last book. This is probably soon before he died. He said, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, 
has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What a sad verse there, isn't it? This guy who had been so helpful to, to Paul, such a servant, somehow stopped following the Lord. He became so in love with the world that he deserted him. Then it says that Crestens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. See, Luke wouldn't leave him. He's there with him. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. There he goes. Tychicus, he's the mail. He's the delivery guy. He's always going somewhere. But Demas, he loved the world. So this brings up our next point. Loving the worldly culture can keep us from finishing God's work. Some of you right now are on the right track. You're moving forward with the Lord. But be very careful. Even Jesus, in his prayer for his disciples in John 17, prayed for them because he says, I'm not taking them out of the world, but I know they are in the world, but I pray that they not be of the world. And that's the danger for all of us. We live in a worldly culture that's getting more and more ungodly every day. Am I right? We have to shine brighter and brighter in the midst of the darkness. Be really careful that we don't become in love with this world system. We can pray for people. We, God doesn't want to remove us from it. Otherwise, he said he would have. But he wants us to be in it so we can infiltrate, so we can bring the gospel to the people that need it. But obviously, Demas didn't do that. We don't want to end up like him. Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, some of you have a different translation. If you have the King James, it will say his house. What is it, a his or her? Well, Nympha was a name that we don't know. Was it a male or female? It could go either way. So some translators of the Bible have interpreted it to be a female. Some have translated it to be a male. Here's the only thing I can tell you. I don't know, Nympha, but they had a church in their house. And that's a good thing. Paul's saying all these different people had different roles. One's a doctor. One's delivering the mail. One's, you know, got a church in their home. Nympha. Now, remember, they didn't have church building until about 300 A.D. Always before that, they would meet in homes. And so this is how the church got started. They didn't have buildings and so forth. And so this lady, Nympha, Paul's saying, give a greeting to her and the church in her home. Then in verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see that it's read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Now, we don't have a letter from, uh, that Paul wrote to Laodicea. Now, 40, year, 40 years later in the book of Revelation, Jesus is going to have a message for Laodicea, but it was not a real good message. Remember, that's the lukewarm church that he said, I wish you were either hot or cold because you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He had, he had some harsh words to say. But 40 years earlier, evidently, there was a thriving church in Laodicea. Paul's, Paul wrote a letter to them. But what, that should show us that not everything that people wrote ended up in the Bible. God has protected what books are in this Bible, what letters made it in the Bible. He knows what were divinely inspired and which ones were not. So somewhere there was a letter to the church of Laodicea that didn't make it in the Scripture. And again, I just use that as 
like just comfort in knowing that God is the one who's in charge of that. It's his word. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever. Then verse 17, he says, uh, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Now, Archippus, I believe, is probably the pastor at this time. Epaphras left. He's a thousand miles away. So Archippus, it says, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received from the Lord, which is always a good thing. Remember this. Ministry, true ministry, is received. It's not achieved. That we receive it from the Lord. And I ask you, what ministry has the Lord given you? I believe he's given every one of us a ministry. And when I see those ladies sewing things, you know, for items for the missions, I'm thinking, wow, God is so creative in how he uses so many different people in different ways. Right now there's people serving our children in the kids' ministry. There's other people serving in, as our guest service team. I know quite often that we, we you, know, you know, give a clap for, for the people in the band and so forth, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes doing their work. Isn't that awesome? There are people in these cameras right now that are volunteers, people up in the production booth that are volunteers using. What ministry has God given you? I believe he's given every one of us a ministry, and it's received. So Archippus... He's saying there, complete it. Complete the ministry that you've received. Then verse 18, last one. I, Paul, write these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It's interesting, the very last words he talks about, similar words that he began the letter with, is about grace. We need God's grace. Remember my chains, though. Remember he's saying, please don't forget about praying for me. I want to be out of these chains. Remember me. I think about Paul's words to the church of Ephesus. It's in Acts 20. And look that up on the screen. In Acts 20, he says this. He's in his last message to the elders of Ephesus. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul understood this whole thing. That it's not about our life. That this is the posture that we need to have. This is what true humility is. That we don't consider our life worth anything compared to the task of serving the Lord. See, many Christians get it the opposite way. It's all about my life. And if I have a little spare time, a little spare change, maybe I'll give something to God. But Paul had the right order. He said, I don't consider my life to anything. My aim is to finish the race. And by the way, he's not running against people. He's running an individual race that God's marked out for him, just like he has for us, to complete that task the Lord's given, testifying to the good news. So here's our last point. How we finish is more important than how we start. Paul was reflecting on the end of his life there. He said, I just want to finish. I want to finish that task. Demas didn't finish well, but we can. Some of you haven't started well, and you may be thinking, yeah, because of my past, God can't use me. No, I would beg to differ with you. Most of us have a checkered past. We've got things we're not proud of, things that have happened to us, but God still has something for us. Don't lose sight of that. Look for those opportunities. Make those opportunities count. We just read about 10 people with all different roles. One of them seemed like they flamed out. 
later. But the others all had a different role. And I believe that's God's word for all of us. Yes, to share the gospel, but to use our life on purpose, using our lives as a ministry to the Lord. So as we get ready to close, I want us to pray for all of us that we would truly receive from the Lord what he wants for us, that he give us opportunities, and we make these opportunities count. And also, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you haven't given your life to Christ yet, you have not been reconciled with our Holy Father, you, you still are dead in your sins, your sins are not forgiven, why wait? There's no guarantee for tomorrow. You need to make sure that you have that assurance of knowing where you're going to end up at when you die. And God loves you too much. He's given you this opportunity to make that as a public profession of saying, I want a relationship with Jesus. So in a moment, we're going to pray for that as well. So could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for prayer? Father, as we wrap this message up, Lord, we just pray that you give each and every one of us opportunities, open doors to share our life, to share the gospel, that you would fill our mouth with your words. Help us to be gentle and full of grace as we talk to people, as we invite people, as we use our life on purpose. Lord, I believe every one of us have a a role to play in your kingdom. So show us, those that don't know yet what their role is, reveal to them why you have them here on this earth. Give them that meaning in life, that purpose. And while heads are bowed and eyes closed, if if today you want to make sure that your sins are forgiven, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you want to surrender or resurrender, even as we sang that song a little bit ago, today's your opportunity. I want to pray for you just right there in your seat. But as an act of faith, would you just raise your hand up high and say, that's me today. Yes, yes, yes. Many hands going up. Others of you, yes. Yep, good, good. On the balcony, hands up there. Okay, good. Good. Anybody else? You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. But you're saying, I want that relationship with Jesus Christ. Good. For those of you who raised your hand, you can put them down, but let me lead you in a prayer. It's not some type of magic words that you pray, but it's about the meaning of this prayer in your heart. You're praying to God. Just pray this quietly under your breath. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but Jesus Christ came to this earth He lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Today, I put my faith and trust in you. Please forgive me of all my sins because I know that Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming back again. I desire to follow Jesus from this day forward. So send your Holy Spirit to help me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For all of you that raise your hands, congratulate you. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Would you stand as we get ready to close with one last worship song? Let's sing together. If you're calling, we're coming.
For those of you that raised your hand and prayed that prayer, we'd love to meet you down here at the front at the end of the service. Only take a few moments. Just We want to congratulate you, give you some resources to help you in your walk with Christ. It's such an important decision, and we just want to encourage you with that. If you have other prayer needs, our prayer team will be here to be glad to pray for other needs. If you are here visiting, we're welcome to Calvary Chapel. We're glad that you came. We'd love to meet you out in our commons, which is over here to my right. We have our information center out there. We'll have some volunteers, some pastors out there. Be glad to answer questions that you might have, give you some more information about the church. We're not here to recruit you. We're just here to love up on you. Amen? And uh, also, uh, our giving is done through either online or you can give in the boxes that are by the doors. Thank you for your generous giving to the work of the Lord here. It's another form of worship when we give unto the Lord. And so thank you for being such a great church. Love you and have a great rest of your Sunday.